This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Barack Obama and Chinese President Xi Jinping came to a rather historic agreement last week, but there are many skeptics out there that believe that this deal is destined to fail. The two sides agreed not to conduct cyber espionage on each other where economic concerns are put. To look at this agreement and if it can be upheld, we are joined on the phone by Jeff Vagley, who is a lecturer in law at Penn and also executive director of the Center for Technology. And also here in the studio, our friend Jacques Delisle, who is a director of the Center for East Asian Studies here at the University of Pennsylvania. Jacques, as always, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Great to be back. Thanks. Jeff, great to have you on the phone. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I, I will call myself a skeptic where this agreement is concerned, Jeff. I'm really not thinking that this is going to be able to hold in place for an extended amount of time. Where do you fall? Well, uh, I share your skepticism, and uh, the, the 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 news is that you know this is not really this is not a treaty or any sort of legally binding document. Yep. Uh, this is uh, you know not even um, what one might consider an international law norm. Uh, this is really uh, considered a sort of a gentleman's agreement, and there's enough uh, wiggle room in the language of the agreement so that uh, the it, it could be easy for either party, uh, frankly, to uh, uh, to you know squeeze out through one of these loopholes. It's it's not not a. It's, I'm sure the agreement was carefully written uh, for for that purpose. Yeah, I, mean, I share some of the skepticism. I, mean, I think you know, any engagement on this issue is probably a step forward because we were headed towards some quite nasty patches on this. And mm-hmm. you know, there was talk of uh, sanctions being held in abeyance until after Xi's visit. Uh, so clearly this is an issue which the U.S. had raised as a significant source of friction in relation to China. So, you know, agreeing to talk about it, and we have the, uh, the high-level working group uh, back in place and, and making some notional commitments is at least a climb down uh, from the collision course, but I share uh, Jeff's skepticism that this is uh, a time to sing, you know, hallelujah and dance around the maple. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but again, it, at least it is a first step. And, and whether or not China was brought to this table uh, because of their concerns of sanctions or whether they, you know, in some respects, President Xi really wants to address this topic, it is a first step at least, Jeff. It is a first step, and I will agree with Jacques on that point. In that, uh, this is some this is uh, fairly unprecedented uh, in this area uh, for for the uh, Chinese government to actually uh, reiterate the the language of of the agreement in their understanding following uh, the state visit. And it's um, what's especially interesting is is that uh, you know this there has been a long history. Well, long in internet terms, of course. Uh, you know, going back to 2009 with Operation Aurora, if you, you know, cast your mind back to when Google was hacked and, and Coca-Cola and uh, Morgan Stanley and a number of other uh, Northrop Grumman. Uh, the there's there's been a, a high degree of concern about this uh, that has gone public, where this was generally in the background. And you know, it should be noted that this is uh, this is purely uh, an agreement about um, cyber. Uh, spying uh, 
for economic reasons. Uh, you know, to, to ask countries not to spy on one another is a bit like saying, you know, leopard, please remove your spots. It's yeah. not possible. So this is, you know, strictly uh, for, uh, you know, intellect, theft of intellectual property, trade secrets, that sort of thing. And again, the language says, you know, the, it has to be with the intent of providing a competitive advantage to the country's commercial sector. So that's, you know, the language is, you know, with the intent language, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting, and it remains to be seen how this actually uh, plays out. I was going to bring that up because it is interesting, because in reading all the reports of it, it seemed like it was specifically geared only towards economic issues and, and all kinds of other cyber espionage, which may go on back and forth between the two sides. That's still fair game. I mean, you can still get away with that. Right. I think there are a few things going on here. There is one other small piece that they that there was an agreement on, which is the UN code on not hacking one another's critical infrastructure. Yeah. But, you know, that's pretty easy, right? I mean, that's, that's not something uh, one wants to uh, contemplate. And that idea is, I think, pretty strongly rooted in notions of you don't attack civilian targets during warfare. I mean, the sure. consequence of taking down electricity grids, uh, you know, water systems and things like that is is targeting civilian populations and, you know, pretty obvious thing to get on, on the table. So that wasn't the focus. The focus is, as Jeff says, this uh, economic cyber espionage with economic defined as conferring commercial benefits and the intent to do that. Um, what does that mean? Well, a couple things. One is it doesn't add all that much because uh, the intellectual property provisions in the WTO agreement uh, oblige you to protect foreign intellectual property anyway. Yeah. Uh, so many of those obligations are already in place. This is kind of an affirmation of we're actually going to do something about it. And as President Obama said, you know, we'll see if actions follow the words. But it does leave, as you say, this big zone in the middle. And that big zone you know, consists of a few things. One, nobody was going to take off the table, right? Countries spy on one another. Sure. Uh, yeah. And spying is now cyber spying, all right? That's the effective way to spy. That's where a lot of the stuff you want to know is. Um, and so for the traditional kind of national security spying, that's just been updated for the Internet age, and nobody's going to agree to give that up. The problem is the sort of area between that and acquisition of commercial secrets, trade secrets, uh, other IP for transfer for competitive advantage to one's own companies. Mm -hmm. And we do spy on that. You want to know what the state of other people's technology is because a lot of it's dual use. Yep. Uh, in the modern context, you know, the, the international relations isn't just about war. Of course, it's about figuring out where economies are going, where, where national strength based on economic advancement is going. And that's the kind of thing that countries do spy on one another for. Yeah. And certainly when talking with uh, that, we have had you on the show in the last couple of months, the fact that the Chinese economy is such re realistically an important piece to how everything kind of else is falling into place globally right now. Uh, that's that that's that's a big part to this as well. I think it's a big part to it, and of course there is skepticism about how accurate official Chinese statements are. And once you do that, you know, if you don't think you have transparency from the source itself, you're yeah. going to go out and try and get the other information. And I think there's also a sense that you know nobody's really going to give that up, so it would be pointless to agree to it. The U.S. concern, driven by IP holders, including a lot of the people that uh, President Xi met with when he landed in Seattle, yeah, you know, it's been a constant drumbeat in American politics, sure. saying we're getting very valuable stuff stolen from what is the most important part of our economy, most dynamic part in many ways, and a and in sectors that China has identified as where it wants to head with its innovation economy. We're talking with uh, Jacques Delisle uh, from uh, the University of Pennsylvania and the director of the Center for East Asian Studies, and also Jeff Vogley, who's a lecturer in law here at uh, Penn and also executive director for the Center uh, of Technology. Uh, I guess, uh, Jeff, there was also a little piece to this that, that talked about uh, a level of compliance and, and what that kind of all plays into this as well, uh, because I guess at this point you have to have some sort of uh, back-level controls if, if you don't 
comply with whatever agreement you're putting in place. That's true. I mean, it, it's uh, cyber. I mean, it, it's uh, international espionage is obviously a hard thing to measure, just uh, by definition, and even more so uh, in cyber espionage. And uh, the 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 question that that, that was raised by uh, many commentators and uh, saying there's a phrase that says that you know that the country shall not conduct or knowingly support. Uh, these activities, um, and as we know from past stories, uh, they uh, not just in China but all over the world. There are many quasi-state actors uh, who perform uh, this sort of espionage that are not necessarily directly affiliated with any nation states, uh, but they might provide information back and forth. And so, one of the questions that has been asked is, uh, you know, would would a quasi-state actor Performing es- economic espionage uh, fall under this agreement, and uh, if if the you know if, if the Chinese government could say, well, we really didn't have anything to do with that, uh, then you know, it's, are they off the hook? Uh, similarly, uh, we have seen uh, as you know, starting with Aurora and and going forward, there has been a number of uh, forensic uh, interpretations of what's going on, pointing fingers at direct PLA units, uh, People's Liberation Army units. Uh, that actually conduct this espionage from uh, places like Shanghai. And um, you know, the question is, you know, does, does that work then get moved? Uh, you know, do they offshore that work? Uh, do they move it off to the quasi-state actors? Do they, you know, do they move it off to a third party? Uh, there are a number of ways that, uh, you know, that might be difficult to actually measure compliance with this agreement. How much do you think that, that though, that this at least meeting – uh, Jacques, that that President Obama and President Xi had could be the starting point for other discussions on other topics, which obviously are, are out there, especially when we're talking about uh, the the concerns about climate change, which is obviously something that both countries have quite of in- interest in, and economic expansion going forward. Well, I think almost anything that uh, that you know, gets some issues off the list of things we are just at loggerheads about. Um, you know, frees up some space and some energy for making progress on other issues as well as the issues that we can start to move forward on. So I mean, the, the, one of the concerns heading into the summit <clears throat> was that um, that there were so many points of friction in the relationship, and some of them got addressed and some didn't. So you know, climate change had been one where we were doing nothing, but uh, the last surprise from a high-level meeting was the bilateral, uh, more sort of parallel commitments uh, on climate change, which may well uh, bear fruit at the Paris conference with the U.S. and China more on the same page than in the past. We have the big issues with the South China Sea and the territorial conflicts there, to some, uh, some degree in the East China Sea as well with Japan. Uh, there was no progress on that. Uh, and so if cyber had not uh, shown some cracks here, some, some sort of willingness to move forward on at least talking about it and at the very least um, putting in ways of dealing with problems before they get worse, then I think we'd, we'd have some real some real concerns. So I wouldn't say that, that we were on the threshold of making major progress on this, mm-hmm. but it is a step forward from simply denying that China is doing anything that the U.S. has any right <laughs> to complain about. And so things like the hotline on cyber and things like yeah, the high-level working group, as well as things like the uh, ways of avoiding incidents at sea, you know, these are ways of preventing really bad stuff from happening. Yeah. That's one good thing. Uh, dialogue you know, may or may not bear fruit, but it's better than not talking. So in that sense, we've opened up a little more space to work on these things, but it's still a long agenda of areas of pretty profound disagreement. 
happened. And one of the things, Jeff, that was also mentioned is that, you know, obviously now President Xi has to go out and make sure that uh, this agreement, uh, handshake, whatever, you you know, you, you put this in the category of, uh, has to be followed. And obviously the potential of sanctions are, are still hanging over them if, you know, elements in China do not abide by this agreement. And that, that's true. And, and and there are many within the Chinese government that uh, are fairly, uh, you know, fairly skeptical of any sort of uh, move forward with the United States. And, you know, here in the United States, we have that, that issue as well. So it's not just a matter of uh, President Xi just unilaterally saying we're going to be doing this. This, You know, China is, is a big place. It's, it's a uh, large uh, and, and complicated government. Uh, it uh, remains to be seen how this actually gets implemented. And one of the issues that I thought, um, and, and, and Jacques hinted at it earlier, uh, one of the issues that came out of these general agreements, these norms that have been agreed to, is this uh, idea of a duty to assist. Um, much like with uh, with uh, seafaring vessels, uh, there is a norm where, you know, if, if you are a vessel at sea uh, and uh, a vessel calls out for distress, you have a duty yeah. to assist that, that other vessel. There is a, a, a analogous agreement now, a norm that has been um, uh, promulgated that says that, uh, you know, if if uh, if we say that we're having an issue, if we feel like we're being attacked, uh, all you know, countries uh, that uh, have agreed to this norm are are now uh, obligated to assist that other country, and that gets rid of some of this attribution problem that we've been running into. Uh, if you remember back uh, with the the Sony breach, um, uh, there was you know the a controversial statement about whether or not North Korea was directly involved in that breach. Uh-huh. Um, you know that attribution in cyberspace is extremely difficult, and uh, if not impossible in some cases. And the fact that you know that, that we're talking about getting past this attribution issue and just assisting uh, one another with these issues, uh, I think that's real progress. And I think that might be uh, of of more note um, or of more import in the long run. I think that's absolutely right. Um, it, for one thing, it does get you over a essentially a fact problem in in claiming that there's something the other side should be doing. It's lowered yeah. the threshold for the other side acting. It also takes some of the sting out of it. It's not an accusation that somewhere up that chain, uh, Chinese state authorities are necessarily directing the espionage. In some sure, cases, that's yeah. still going to be the charge and probably accurately. But uh, it, it takes away the argument of, oh, that's just somebody we haven't controlled very well. And it takes away the need for the U.S. to claim that the state's pulling the, the levers here. That all helps. And there's some other tools in the toolkit. I mean, sanctions do remain a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, you've got the possibility of individual prosecutions, right? And then one of the things that stung <laughs> the Chinese in this was the five PLA officers being indicted. I mean, we can't get at them there in China. Yep. Uh, but those are, those are fairly significant, uh, you know, symbolic acts, at least, that, 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 that jerk the chains. Well, and again, that's that's still the issue is that if you want to try and do any prosecutions it's it's next to impossible to try and really get them to go any farther because of the fact that they're still in China and they're not going to be extradited by that government here to the United States. Right. So, I mean, there's a, there's a whole uh, array of things here. And by getting the kind of agreement Jeff is talking about, you've then got a lever to say you're not living up to that. We may not be able to prove that you're behind it, but you're not living up to a pledge to do something about it. And we've got, we've got not only the duty to assist, but we also have a pledge specifically to go out and prosecute Cyber crime, economic cyber crime, yeah, um, and you know that's then uh, that that takes down the possibility, or at least reduces the argument that says, you know, come on, there's a lot of crime going on, we can't deal with all of it. This is a pledge to make it a priority, and if there's not progress, that's a sign of of, of a failure to to live up to the agreement. So there's everything from 
you know, calling them on specific things to the kind of moral suasion argument. But in the background loom sanctions if it's government action. Mm -hmm. But the other piece that I think is of concern to the Chinese here is the souring attitude of American and other foreign high-tech companies uh, toward uh, the China business market, right? They sure. want, they desperately yeah. want in. It's hard to turn away from those, what is it, 2.6 billion eyeballs, I guess, if you've sure. two eyeballs per Chinese. Um, but, you know, there are real costs to being there. Uh, some of them are genuine theft costs, which may yeah. be even greater if you're present there, but are also, of course, greater if you're exposing yourself there in one way or another. Um, but it also means that there's reluctance to place R&D facilities there. And you know, they're still doing it, but there's, there's a real concern um, there's more trepidation than you would see if you weren't worried about cyber espionage. And, and Jeff, how big uh, of a piece going forward is that uh, that want to put facilities by uh, other corporations in China? How big and important of that a piece is that to the Chinese economy, let's say, over the next 20 to 30 years? Well, it, it's it's huge, and it goes both ways. Uh, I mean, there, there have been, in, in other areas, uh, antitrust, for example, there have uh, been some recent settlements uh, with between the Chinese government and American companies uh, for very large sums of money, um, but the the companies have generally felt these this is money well spent. It's a cost of doing business. We have to do business in, in China, and and similarly, uh, you know, China has uh, it, it's, it needs the, uh, the 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 West and and uh, you know the United States and Europe and and for that matter, the rest of the world, uh, to, to play as part of that economy. Uh, so this is uh, the economic realities behind this um, are enormous, and that's, that's really uh, the elephant in the room. Uh, this is you know, less about cybersecurity cyber or cybercrime. This is really about economic growth, economic stability, and, and especially looking toward things like you, were just meant, you mentioned earlier, uh, issues like global warming and how we move forward on, on on those sorts of issues. So the cybersecurity is really just you know that sets the facilitation of of a lot of these bigger issues that we're working out right now between the U.S. and China. But how how long before you think we we really hear a story where this quote unquote agreement has been tested? Like you know we see some sort of reach, whether it is Sony or you know you name the corporation. Uh, it's you know it, it it may be happening as we speak. It's, right, it's exactly. Yeah. Probably get the Wall Street Journal typing this up right now, um, but but that does not mean, as Jacques said, this you know this is not going to be airtight. It's not going to be foolproof. But the fact that the two nations are talking is is progress, and uh, the fact that there you know there there will likely be breaches and there will be questions about well is it economic espionage for the purposes of assisting the. Uh, the the nation state's commercial enterprise, or is it uh, purely political uh, espionage, or nation, you know the the sort of espionage that's not precluded by this agreement? Uh, we're we're going to see that uh, from time to time. And then the, you know there's also the uh, the you know we've we've seen it in physical form recently uh, with uh, seeds, uh, the the yep. uh, genetic manipulation of of seeds. There was uh, um, uh, an issue recently with uh, you know, accusations that China was trying to export uh, uh, seeds that had been genetically modified here in the United States. So this is, uh, it's not going to be perfect, and we shouldn't expect uh, you know, perfection from either party. But the fact that we've actually put together some sort of a norm around this, I think is progress, and I think it's, it uh, points in the, the right direction. But it is interesting that when uh, the, the, 
the uh, press conference was held on, at the White House the, uh, the other day that President Obama has basically taken the tack of a uh, of a okay show me now mm-hmm. you know he he uh, the person that is the head of of the United States has about as little faith at least right now in this that pretty much everybody else does I think there are a couple things going on there one is of course domestic politics always looms large in these things and sure. Obama's been taking yeah. a bit of a pasting from the right about not being sufficiently tough on China that's the kind of thing that comes up every time we hit an election cycle at least a presidential election cycle so we've already seen signs of that I mean there's a wonderful uh, Trump China 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 <laughs> video out sure, there, right? Yeah. So, so there is a domestic politics angle to it. But I think also there's genuine frustration and weariness. I mean, you talk to anybody who deals with China in, in the U.S. government or in, in the corporate sector, and there is a level of frustration at promises made that somehow you know, don't really <laughs> get uh, implemented, and there's a lot of sense of, of, gee, well, what do you want me to do? And the answer is you could do more. Um, that's percolated up to the presidential level, but it's it's a very familiar experience for people farther down the chain who deal with these policy issues. I mean, it is partly, and part of it is is that there is a sense of of ill will sometimes, of not trying hard enough other times, but yeah. also it's often hard to unpack what is just genuinely really hard to do <laughs> and what is willfully looking the other way and what is pulling the strings. And those are very hard things to untangle. It's surely some mix of all of them. Uh, but a piece of it is the failure to, to work hard to follow through these things in a sense that you make the promise, you walk out the door, and then at least buys you some time. There's yeah. skepticism of that sort, and it's not entirely unfounded. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.com. Dot edu.